So instead of looking as like doom and gloom, which is what the media is portraying and what a lot of people say to you versus I think the wealthy are looking at this saying, wow, this might be one of the best opportunities that I have in my lifetime. So how am I going to prepare? Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Welcome back, Action Academy family. This is your host, as always, Brian Lubin, bringing you the Mindsets, Methods, Actionable Steps for you to earn freedom in your life and business for the 100th interview. 100 hours of seven to 10 figure multimillionaire entrepreneurs on the Action Academy podcast. This has been a hell of a journey. And now for episode 100, we get to celebrate by having back the first official guest of the Action Academy podcast, my buddy, Calvin Chin. Calvin's a seasoned multifamily investor with a personal equity position exceeding $10 million in his early 30s. The guy is a beast. And today's episode is not for the fan of heart, ladies and gentlemen. We are getting directly into the numbers. We are talking what his cash flow is looking like, what he's looking out for, how he's structuring his deals, what terms is he searching for, how is he structuring his seller finance, what is he looking for in the upcoming recession, what opportunities, what cap rates. We get into it today with the pure dollars and data. So sit tight, buckle up. It's been a while since we've had a stat-rich episode like this, but it is worth it for episode number 100. Give me the next 33 minutes of your life, and I will have you prepped and planned for the upcoming recession, bar none, no questions asked. This episode will get you where you want to go. So hope you guys enjoy. As always, if you are enjoying this content, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player that you're listening to. Share this episode on social media, and let's get to the show. Calvin Chin. Calvin Shin, back for number 100, man. Welcome back. Hell yeah, brother. Thanks for having me back for numero 100. <laughs> Bilingual <laughs> king over here. <laughs> You're in Brazil right now. I was like, you know what? I got to throw some Spanish up here. Numero 100, man. My high school Spanish is pretty crappy. That's what I just realized. Yeah. Dude, I can't believe that we're here. What this has become over 100 episodes. For people listening that are maybe brand new to the show, Calvin Shin was my first episode on this podcast, and we sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I remember the quality was terrible. Yeah, man. But look how far you've come, man. You got the mic, you're traveling a bunch of countries and doing it wherever you want. And last week, I posted about how I started the podcast and how I texted a couple of people and said that this was what I wanted to do. And I had no intentions, no plan of making this a company, a business. And we just launched the thing. And Calvin was my first person. So I was literally standing next to you at the event. I was just like, yo, podcast. You want to be the first episode? You're like, let's do it. And that was it. I remember, man. I remember, man. And look at what it's done, man. So what a jumping off board it's been for you and what doors it's opened and everything there, man. Dude, congratulations on all the success so far. And this is just the beginning, man. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's just wild to think of 100 hours. So we've had more than 100 episodes, but 100 individual people interviewed. That's over 100 hours that we've got of multimillionaire entrepreneurs. And it was cool. I posted this. I was like, if I stop right now, we've got this repository of information live to the public domain for free 
forever. It's been a cool ride, man. It's been a cool journey and I'm excited for the next 100, but I want to get into you and what you're doing. Let's take a pivot here and talk about what you're seeing with the market and what you're doing with multifamily. So let's start with the economy because I know you and I are both watching this really closely as it comes to terms of what the Fed's doing, what the interest rates are doing. So what are you doing with your investing and how are you doing this? There's a, is there something about interest rates happening right now or something? I haven't heard. Yeah. People yeah. are talking, dude. People are yeah, talking. People are talking. Apparently, yeah. So there's, you, Michael Ayala, man, I was listening to his podcast and he had a great quote that I have taken to heart where it's like, a recession is coming, but I'm choosing not to participate. And mm. so, man, to me is that, yes, is the Fed raising interest rates? They are, right? They're trying to curb inflation. They haven't been very shy about it. They know their target is 2%, right? I think last CPI report came out, said it was 9.1%, right? So long way to go there. So they're going to keep on jamming on the pedal until they see some progress in terms of inflation coming down. Now, with that being said, like what that does for a lot of people, and especially in real estate, right, is you know, more interest rates that go up, right? The profitability of deals go to because you have to pay a higher debt service. And, and I think sellers, for the most part, they're either not going to sell because they locked in a 3.5% rate last year and they're just going to chill and wait it out. So as long as they have long-term debt, they're good. But the people that might have to sell are the ones that have these balloon payments coming up, right? These variable debt mortgages that are coming up and coming up due. So there's some opportunity there, but I, I do think fundamentally that supply is going to stay low because builders have stopped building. Interest rates Going up makes it so that no one's refining, no one's going to sell, right? Because they got a great deal. And why would they sell at that point? So really the only ones that are coming to market will be those variable debt stuff. With all that to say, what that means is, yes, you got to tighten up the belt a little bit. And we're tightening up the belt for sure. But making, but we're not stopping though. We're not stopping to buy deals. We're still looking at deals. We have literally three deals on our contract right now. But the fundamentals that we look at are a lot different. Like we're projecting out very safe conservative numbers now. So to give you an example on that, we're making sure that part of our criteria is we have long-term fixed debt and we're doing creative financing deals, mostly exclusively now. I'll give you an example one, we have a 52 unit on our contract right now and we are negotiate. We have negotiated a seller financing, interest only, 4.75% rate. That makes that deal work, right? So terms are more important right now than anything of all times. And we're trying to lock in long-term debt, right? Not like three-year balloon payment debts or bridge debt at two years. It's got to be like, and one of the credit unions I work with and shout out to them is we always lock down like 18 month to two-year IO on a 10-year fixed mortgage. Wow. Really? For for multifamily? For multifamily. Yeah. So again, like what my my whole theme man of this next year or two has been control, right? So you want to make sure that you can control all the aspects of it. You don't control variable debt, right? You don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that. So the control is, hey, I can buy cash flow deals from day one with the interest rates that I can get, I know I can get, and you still see that there's room for increases, right? Then you're going to be great because really there's two different markets right now, right? There's the, we'll call it the value market, the equity market of real estate, and then there's the rental market of real estate, right? So whereas in residential real estate, for example, sales comps, right? That's how you derive value. Some of those values might come down right now because maybe there's just less demand, less affordability, right? But when interest rates goes up and it's less affordable for people to buy, right? Their mortgage goes from 5K to 8K a month and they can't afford it anymore. What do they do? They can't buy, they they rent. Right. Right. Yeah. So rental demand is projected. I think the NAR projected like a 7% nationwide rental increase. Again, real estate's always local. Like 
the projections are that rents will continue to increase because there's going to be more demand. So being a rental asset like multifamily, you're going to see that demand continue to go up. Calvin Chin, real estate guy. Huge real estate yeah, guy. numbers, man. <laughs> love that shit. <laughs> I love that you're saying this because you are literally in San Francisco. And I recognize your office now because I've been there. I stayed and crashed on your couch yeah. when I went and visited. But uh, yeah, so you're in San Francisco. So nobody can say, oh, cool. Works for him, not in my market, because I can't really think of a market more expensive than yours. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. And there's deals in every freaking market too, man. You just gotta, you gotta manufacture deals, right? You have to make the deals work based off of things. I, I mean, we, people are like, hey, it's impossible to burr out here in San Francisco. Hell, man, we just did a burr, right? Yeah. Got all our money out, right? So it's not impossible to do. You just gotta find the right deal. You gotta find the right opportunities. You gotta put yourself in a position to be able to execute on those too. Cause I think a lot of people will like, are like, oh my God, like I'm gonna go do real estate, but I'm gonna wait until the market hits there. But then the market hits there and there's opportunities that come their way. I don't know how to do this, or I don't have the capital stack or the network to be able to, you know, take these deals down and then, and then they can't. And so let's sit on that. Let's sit on that for a second. Let's, yeah. I think that's an interesting point. I think that's an interesting itch to scratch right there. So let's talk about as we'll still talk about the same subject, which is recession, but we will talk about how to get prep in that regard. I really like that idea of having the capital stack, having the network in place, have everything ready to be able to pounce on opportunity and having a clear idea of what opportunity even looks like. So yeah. can you maybe talk to the people that are listening to this that have some rental properties? Maybe they have a handful of singles. Maybe they have a little bit of multi and they are gung-ho. They are excited about the idea of this recession because they know listening to this podcast, what's coming is opportunity. How can yeah. they best get prepared for that opportunity so that they're not one of the ones that when the time comes and it's time to shoot, they have, they need to make sure that they have bullets in the gun. <laughs> man, shoot or shoot, man. Love it. I think the first thing you said is mentally prepare, right? So instead of looking as like doom and gloom, which is what the media is portraying and what a lot of people say to you versus I think the wealthy are looking at this saying, wow, this might be one of the best opportunities that I have in my lifetime. So how am I going to prepare? So then that's the mindset aspect. Then you go into more of the tactical aspects So, all right, how do I prepare? So preparing, I think a couple of things. One, now I'll just talk to you what we're doing from just personal experience. One is we're moving some of our older vintage assets into newer vintage assets. So some of our C-class into B-class, right? So maybe we have a 1970s bill. Maybe we're going to try to sell that right now when market when when we still can and tend to change it into B class assets maybe that are vintage 1995 or newer and okay. that way you're going to protect yourself from a lot of capex capex expense that might happen also you might protect yourself from if and when we are in a recession those C class tenants right that are month to month on paychecks they might they're going to choose they're going to have to choose whether whether they're going to fill their tank to go to gas or fill their gas to go to work go to the grocery store to feed their kids or pay rent right and, and I don't want to be in that situation where they're not going to pick rent, right? And you're going to see delinquencies and NSFs go up, right? So that's one aspect. The other aspect is looking at the metric of return on equity, right? People all talk about return on investment, right? And that's great. The cool thing is in the last few years, real estate has been pretty good, right? So you're going to have a lot of equity built up in your asset. And are you maximizing that return on equity right now? Quick example on that, if you bought 100K property, just for easy math, and you're getting a thousand bucks a month on that, you're getting 12% cash on cash return, return on investment that way. Return on equity, let's say that 100K property and it's now worth 200K because of the market the last five years. So you're still getting a thousand bucks, you're getting 12,000 bucks on what is probably another 100K of equity that you gained, right? On top of the equity that you already had, your down payment and whatnot, and the equity pay down from the loan, then now your return on equity might be like 3%. So what if I could take that 100, we'll call it 50,000 bucks of equity I have in that property now, and tender exchange it into something else that I can get 
maybe a 7% cash on cash return, right? That's going to be a lot more than what you were getting at whatever 10% at 12,000 bucks a year, right? At 100K. That's another thing, right? Just looking at how can I maximize the equity and all the assets I have right now and make it safer, more recession proof by moving into newer class assets and B class assets. And then third or third is like, Understand, okay, what opportunities may come. And I think in my own opinion, I think a lot of assumptions of loans are opportunities. I think a lot of seller financing opportunities are coming up. And I've even seen that personally, like we're doing a bunch of those types of loans right now. What else? I think the bridge debt stuff of people that are in bridge debt, that is variable that the loans coming due this year or next year that they were projecting a 4% interest rate on a refi in year two, but now it's six and a half percent. And now they're like, oh crap, my numbers don't work because now my DSCR is correct. Those are opportunities. Yeah. So how am I preparing for that? Am I talking? Am I looking at co-star reports, understanding who's actually in those kind of debts? Am I talking to the banks and lenders that put those loans out that may need some help in the future here, uh, in the short future? Am I p- pitching seller financing, right? The right way. Um, so those aspects. And then third is, you know, like being educationally prepared for it, right? So like I said before, it's if you're not ready for the opportunity when it hits you, then you're not going to be able to act on it, right? So if you don't know how to do these things, when the time comes, you may say, cool, it's not the right time to buy. Okay, sure, maybe. But if it's not the right time to buy and you do nothing, you sit on your ass the next year and do nothing, you don't learn anything, you don't educate yourself on how how to do this. So surround yourself with people that are doing it. And when the opportunity does come, you're like, great, I'm going to go do it. But you're like, oh shit, I don't know how to do any of this stuff though. I just wasted a lot. So you can't actually take action. So I would say those are probably the big principles I would look at right now that we're doing ourselves. And again, being in a good cash position, liquidity position too, to be able to handle any kind of recession slash be able to take advantage of some of these opportunities. So yeah, dude, no, dude that, that was awesome, man. That was, that was absolute flow. I had to let you just keep going on that one. That was fantastic. I did, I did, I did the Wolf Ferrell there from, I was old school. I just blacked out, man. What just happened? <laughs> yeah, blacked out. Yeah. yeah. Right now is the time for education. It's the time to join the mastermind, to join the community, to join the mentorship and to start really doing the self-education work for them. When winter comes, you're wearing a snow coat. You're ready to go. Yeah, exactly, man. It's just like preparing, right? It's, if you want to be a doctor, right? You don't just say, hey, cool, like in five years, I'll be a doctor, you know? And when a time comes where you're on a plane and someone's having a heart attack, someone says, I need a doctor. You're like, yeah, hey, I know what I'm doing, right? I can do this versus, oh yeah, I'm going to be a doctor in, in the next five years. I'll try to I'll try to work and give him CPR and try to help that guy out, but you're not going to be able to because you don't know what you're doing yet. You said something that I want to hit on and that's the return on equity as opposed to a return on investment. And I've heard both sides of the equation before. So Mark Hentiman, who is one of the co-founders of Family Guy, and he was on this show, he has a lot of equity right now that's sitting in his properties in Los Angeles. So for him, he more so cares about the equity as opposed to the cash flow. But a lot of multifamily investors and a lot of people use cash flow as a defensive metric when it comes to terms of stay in downturns so that they don't have to offload these assets. So mm-hmm. is this still is cash flow still a number that you're really caring about? Or do you really just want to make sure that everything is properly situated to have the maximum return on equity? Yeah. Okay. So I do think cash flow is still important, right? I think that's probably still the most important metric, especially in a downturn. With Mark's strategy, I know he's in all these primary markets and stuff. At some point, yeah, equity is amazing. Equity is what's going to make you super wealthy, like Mark has been. But eventually you want to make that a cash flow, right? Because that's true wealth, right? It's like get your time back. So I think in your perspective, two things, right? In, in current state situation, yeah, I, I think having cash flow is great. And for example, we'll take some of our chips off the table, right? And tenure exchange stuff. Like I'm tenure exchange one of my properties right now. That's a C class into a B class. And again, that's mostly just for the vintage and whatnot. But we have all this equity that we're going to put like a crap ton down. We're still putting down like 30, 
35%, right? On, on oh, top. wow. Right? On, on right now, right now, like a couple of years ago, we were 20% no day, all day. We're putting 30%. I think this one's 33, 33, 34% down that we're doing. But that's just going to help make the loan a little bit lower. But because I have so much equity that I'm putting in toward the down payment, it's making it so I can put more down. That makes sense. And it's sure. making the loan smaller, makes my debt payment smaller. Coupled with the interest only, it makes my cash flow strong in the first two years. Yeah, I love that you're doing that. And that makes a lot of sense when it comes to what we're looking at here. So what else are you eyeballing? Like, where are you trying to take this portfolio in the over the next couple of years? Because like you said, this is such a good time to build and to create generational wealth. Because from other people's perspectives, they see 2008 where people got washed out and where they got burned. But from our perspective, we see a bunch of guys that became DECA millionaires, centimillionaires from 2008. David Osborne's talking about all the properties that he couldn't buy enough of. And we were like, damn, I remember when I was in high school during all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you see that, there's, that, there's that meme in it. Man, I, the biggest financial mistake I made was that I was in high school during the financial crisis of 09. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I feel like a lot of people are echoing that same thing to where everyone is now, like the climate is just different. Before it was just pure negligence and greed in the housing market that caused the housing market to go down. And while I do agree that it's going to cool, obviously, because that's what the Fed is literally trying to do. I think that we're going to see the crash that everyone is like sitting, praying and hoping for. What's some advice that you can give to somebody that is having issues with affordability? Maybe they're listening to this podcast and they want to do this. They want to get into this, but now they are feeling stretched because they their money that they were saving up to deploy into real estate now doesn't go nearly as far. What's some Hmm. advice that we can give to that person? Yeah, man. So I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Because with inflation, what happens is everything goes up in price, gas, groceries, all that stuff, right? And that might not affect maybe someone like you and I or whatever, but what that does affect more who are paid to the paycheck, right? Because if they're making two grand a month, right? And now their expenses went from a thousand to 1800 bucks a month, they're only saving 200 bucks, or maybe they're breaking even at this point, right? Then that does help. That does hurt, right? And so there's really this divide that is happening right now with we'll call it landlords in the renter nation, right? So do you want to be a landlord that owns assets or do you want to be part of the renter nation? And again, like rents, living expenses, that's going to be the highest expense that anyone has besides maybe taxes, right? So it is, there is there is more of a divide happening right now. So really the advice then is, hey, what side do you want to be on? And if they're having issues with affordability to do it, then you got to find a way, right, to do it, right? Maybe it's making that sacrifice in the short term. I've talked to many of my students that are like in a situation like that. They're like, all right, well, I got to make a sacrifice in the short term. Maybe I just got to move in with my parents again, right? And just live there for a year, save up a bunch of cash and buy more assets. Maybe yeah. it's cutting down expenses, not going on that vacation, whatever it is, right? Like, just being more intentional with your numbers. And I think that's that thing with control I was mentioning is to control your finances, control your numbers. At the end of the day, a lot of this is math. I love math in general. And I think that numbers don't lie, right? Let's say you are making two grand a month, right? And you have a thousand bucks in expenses right now. And maybe it's gone up to 1500 bucks. All right, then what can I cut out? What can I sacrifice in the short term, right? To start saving money. And then I'm saving a thousand bucks. I get it back down a thousand, right? I'm saving a thousand bucks a month. All right, so save a thousand bucks a month. How much do I need for a down payment to house hack? Or something like that, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I need 15, 20 grand down, right? To be able to buy a house, like a three, four bedroom house in Atlanta, Georgia, whatever it is, right? So yeah, cool. about 30, 30 grand. Yeah. At 30 grand, right? So cool. I need to do this for two years. I'll save 25 grand and I have five grand in my bank account right now. I can employ, right? Then I buy a house, I four bedroom. I rent out each one. I Maybe I do midterm rentals on one. I do a short term rental on another. I do a long term rental on another, whatever it is, right? To make that 
that those numbers work. Now I've now eliminated my highest expense, right? Which is my housing, right? So that's what we'll call it 800 bucks that I was now saving. So now even flat, I'm still making two grand a month, but now I have eliminated my expenses to almost only 500 bucks, right? Of expense. But now I'm saying 1500 bucks a month. Now I'm accelerating that. Now that 1500 bucks can, tell, can gain and uh, compound a lot faster. On top of that, my real estate that I own, like over maybe in the short term, doesn't go up, but maybe in a five to 10 year period, it will just because real estate does that in the last every decade it goes up in value. So maybe I, I do a refi there too and uh, pull more on, buy more assets. You get where I'm going with this is just, just be more intentional about, you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish or goal wise, like use some numbers, right? Do some numbers, do some back math and reverse engineer it to say, all right, well, this is what I need to do to be able to afford the things that will get me to that next level. Yeah. And there's a couple of different levers that you can pull too, because you have the deal triangle when it comes to real estate investing, you either need to be the mo- the money, the knowledge or the hustle. Mm. So if you don't have the money, then find the knowledge or be the hustle. So like for me, when it comes to terms of that triangle, like I took my foot off the gas of real estate investing right now, and I'm all in on my media company, which I've now created over this last hundred hours of interviews. Now I'm like, okay, cool. I'll be the capital. I'll be that side. Because for me, it's foolish for me to put my 10,000 hours into learning about multifamily now or learning about commercial. I'd rather be the best at this, what I'm doing right here and building this media company and putting my 10,000 hours there and then just being best friends with all you guys. And then you yeah. guys are all the best operators. So I'm like, yeah. hey, what's up, man? And I could be that I could be that solution to that specific problem. And I think people need to think about it like that. And instead of thinking about how do I build this massive empire, they need to think about what specific problem for what specific person can I solve to be plugged into this equation, right? Yep. 100%, man. I love it. The triangle. Yeah, it's you have your time, your capital, your knowledge, right? So you got to have one of those things. Right? You can't have none. You gotta have one. Everyone's got one of those things. So just go dive into that. Exactly. And also for people that are listening, Calvin's technically house hacking too. Like even in your massive ass house over in San Francisco, like you've got you, Jenny, and then you've got what her uh, brother living there. And then you've got my an sister, her brother, yeah. and then with an ADU in the back that we have uh, a, a, a midterm rental on. Yeah. And then they got this white guy that comes and just crashes on their couch too. I'm not paying rent. <laughs> if you had a mustache before, if you had a mustache, I don't know if he'd be allowed in our house, but. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, just wait till you see it in person. It's glorious. But oh, yeah, God. dude, this is fantastic. I love, I love talking about stuff like this. And it's just really fun going into this next environment and seeing what is going to happen from it. You mentioned a couple of different areas of opportunity that you're seeing. Are there any others that are on your radar or any things that you're looking for specifically where you've got your antenna up? Yeah, something that we're super excited about too is I think overall there's still a massive housing shortage in general. Yeah. Like supply is just super low. Builders have stopped building expensive. So as we talk about like how do we what are the things are we trying to put in place right now to come out of the other side even stronger? Right. So one of the things that we're positioning and I'm a big believer in this in the future as well is that just being able to build, especially in high dense areas, right? I live in California, right? We're not building more land here, run a peninsula, right? Yeah. And it's expensive, right? So you're just like, we just need more housing, right? So there's even the government has even said it too. Any laws that they pass, they show you what their hand is, right? And they're, they want people to build more affordable housing for long-term tenants here. So what we're trying to do is position ourselves to be able to build that, right? Partnering with uh, another partner, the GoBundance guy as well, uh, that I'm pumped on is uh, we're basically going to real estate deal and a business deal, do a, a warehouse, triple net with a company that manufactures prefab homes, right? 
at a really cheap price at $91 a square foot. Wow. And so okay. Building costs here are 400 bucks round up uh, here in California. So it's like, all right, I mean, if we can build at 91 bucks a square foot ADUs or just other units, right, on large pieces of land, large lot size, and that's relative to California, guys. So lot sizes that we can build ADUs on, then now we can create more housing for people here. And that's a big problem that the government has even realized too. So as we start to position ourselves for what's going to happen outside or during the recession and after the recession, that problem is still going to be there. So we're positioning ourselves to be able to, one, have this warehouse manufacturer side that's close enough to be able to get the product to us and then to have a solid product and start to look at properties that have the requirements that we need, that we can now offer more housing in the variety of people. And I love that relationship from networking and from the mastermind that you've done. You've dug the well before you were thirsty, right? I think that's important. That's a really important point because for all of us, like we've been spending the last couple of years while we've been sitting in paradise where you could have a freaking pulse and an IQ of 17 and be making money, right? And so the difference between these people and what we're about to see is I think that everyone that is tried and true, like all the guests on this podcast and myself included, we are going to just cruise through everything. Like it's there's going to be waves, but there's always going to be waves. We just know how to surf, man. California. Yeah, I think dude, you made a great point, man, in general, just like this whole law of attraction, right? If you are always just trying to help other people out, like the universe will always come back in, in tenfold to you, right? Whether that's monetarily or just being a good person, right? I've built my whole life and career on just on just like being a good person and never, never expecting anything. And things is always coming to play somehow. Even when it doesn't seem like, even when it seems like it's the opposite where the universe is working against you, sometimes those are like, Actually, wow, I'm super glad I didn't do that opportunity because the universe didn't have it that way. Because if I did, I'd be in trouble right now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So on that point, let's pivot a little bit and then we'll close it out. Where are you finding the most fulfillment right now? Ooh, man. So I did a lot of work recently. Actually, yesterday I was on a, a spirituality coaching call. Oh, man. Here we go. <laughs> How much time we got, man? Um, All right. Now we're to the interview, people. <laughs> so... Fulfillment wise, I think it's still to the core, man. I think it's always just been like helping people create more impact in their lives. But even more, it's been about like just creating more family. Now, family doesn't mean just blood related, but it also means that too. But just people that you really freaking care about, right? And you put that energy out there that they care about you too, right? And I think as a core value, that's the most important thing that you can have, right? Is family, right? Not just like literally a family, but family, Brian, you know, your family, man. It's you like, I care about your success, man. I know you do to mine my brother, and all that stuff. And so really just diving into, man, it's not about the money, man. It, it never has been. And maybe it has been, it wasn't in the beginning, right? When I didn't have any, but nowadays it's like just focusing on just people. So core being like, Coming from an energy that is just continuously being authentic, genuine, right? Coming from energy that you're present, coming from your heart versus your logic all the time. And I'm working a lot on that in general. But for me, man, like the one word I would say is family because, yeah, we've been able to travel. I think, <laughs> I think I've worked, I worked a lot, I worked a lot, but like I've taken three, four months off this year. Yeah. Spend time, travel, be with my fiance or wife and be with my family. And that's something that I think is. Always fulfilling in general when you're, you're able to spend quality freaking time with those people that you love and then help people that you love and take it to the next level, whether it's in business or health or in real estate or whatever we're talking about. Family, man. I love that. And the analogy that always gets brought back up to mind is that this journey, this whole entrepreneurship journey is a lot like a plane taking off from the runway, right? So you got a lot of energy, force, friction and hustle porn right there. 
you got Gary V as your a pilot <laughs> and yeah. the takeoff and you go through that first layer of cloud. There's a lot of turbulence and you can't see what's happening, but then you make it through that layer of clouds and then your business starts humming, start getting a little bit of paychecks coming in and uh, you realize hit some blue skies. And then when you're cruising and it's just hanging out and now you've got nothing to do, you're like, okay, now what? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's it's really cool. Now, we talked before, way back in the first episode about the book, The Second Mountain. Mm. And so That's I'm right. curious, has that changed for you at all? Or has that still been the same, just times 20? Yeah. I, so to your analogy, right, you get to the altitude where it's clear skies and it's cruising and stuff. And I'll be honest, man. Yeah, I was definitely earlier this year, probably in summertime, I was like in a cruise mode where I was like, I don't need to do anything. I was lost a little bit, right? Yeah. And, you we, know, me and you were talking about that. Yeah, just being re-energized about a lot of things. Just for me, again, it's just community, impact, family, this whole theme. And I mentioned it really before today that I'm excited about taking into this next year here is just control. But it's not just about taking more control. It's actually, it's a little bit of both, right? It's relinquishing a lot of control. So for me, my mindset shift has been like, all right, I've always wanted to control what I can't control, right? To get from one to 10 million net worth, right? Like in that range, like the control that I had, I was never the smartest person in the room, but the thing I did have was I controlled how much time I put in, how much work I put in, right? So I knew I could sure. always have the guy, right? So that got you there, right? That got me to that one to 10, but then what's that 10 to 50, that 10 to 100 or the 50 to 100, right? It's a totally different mindset, right? So I'm excited about, and I think a lot of that actually has to do with relinquishing a lot of control, right? So yeah. all- Stuff that kind of got you there is totally different from what can get you to the next step, right? So for me, then it's now I'm working on trying to relinquish control more and trust, right? The people that I've surrounded myself with to, to be able to do the things, you know, and so I, I can free my time to, you know, have bigger conversations, think bigger, have that space, that headspace, the energy, the excitement to do it or else, you know, we're going to burn out. And I, I would say earlier this year, I was definitely burnt out because I was the one thing that I can control is work harder. And that's what I was doing. That's the only thing I knew. So now it's like changing that up to how can I not work harder, but work smarter. So that's, what's going to be really excited. Dude, that's huge because there's such a, I just finished up another podcast where I was talking about this and this is like a central theme and question that I'm asking in my life where it's just like, you have to get to a point where you disconnect hard work from worth of so a lot of us we're all like hard workers that's part of our identity so we're like okay i'm a hard worker so i deserve a lot of money because i work hard i work my ass off but you have to relinquish that to move to the next level because then when your work and your money and your value that's coming in is not tied to time anymore then it's not a badge of honor to be the hard worker anymore. The badge of honor is actually be the person that's working the least. And it's just a hard thing to go through because that's what I'm talking about with some of my people that I'm coaching right now is just like, when you do leave that W2, when you do accomplish what your massive goal was, which was maybe quote unquote financial freedom, and you exited that corporate job like I did, there was like three months after that where it was just freaking rough, man. It was turbulent. And I had no idea like you, I think me, when I came, was I fresh off of the job? Had I quit? Yeah. Dude, it was turbulent, man. It was a weird time and you're struggling and battling with identity. And what you said there about control was huge because you can get there where you want to go up to maybe the 10 million mark by yourself. But the irony is want freedom, but you can't have freedom and control simultaneously. 
Yeah. (laughs) It's a giant oxymoron. How's that process been with relinquishing control? Is there anything, any resources that you can give or any things that any exercises you've been doing working on that? I did an exercise on the flight with my wife and literally looking at, again, your per dollar worth or your per hour worth, right? Yeah. We talked about that. Your DPA. And literally I went through all the different businesses that we have. And I said, I looked at my counter and looked at all the tasks that we did, that I do on a day-to-day basis. And I said, anything that's below this amount, I shouldn't be doing it. And so I was like, how many hours does that take me? Times that by my DPA or dollar for productive activity or how much worse per hour. And that's how much I can hire someone. So we had now a few new job breaks I didn't have a month ago opening up because, yeah, I know that if I'm able to take that brain space, that headspace off my plate, than was possible. And I think that to me has been a really eye-opening activity. Now, I think on the mental side, yeah, there's still some work to be done. Of, I got to let that go. And just thinking about that in the back of my mind of like, all right, does that, is that worth my time? And I hate to say it, but it's, you know, is that worth my time? Yeah. And if not, then I got to find someone to do it or I got to automate it somehow. I love that, man. Woo. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember Jenny giving me that same advice. She was like, you need to hire a dude in sense that she said that I've been through four virtual assistants. <laughs> I've been through four assistants. Yes. Yeah. So I think I finally found one that's going to be the fit, but yeah. it's just, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, that point too, though, right? You find the right people, you hold on to their life, right? And yeah. You invest into them as much as possible. And yeah. 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 I love you. it, man. Yeah. What's next for a Zen coast? What are you trying to do with that? With Zen Coast University, man. Yeah. Again, we're our target mission, right? A thousand families help. But again, like we're all about quality, not quantity. So I'm excited. We just had a retreat in Nashville, a super intimate retreat where we just got really deep, right? Made some really lifelong bonds in general. So for me, it's always just about finding the right people, right? Not any person, but the right people to be around and grow with. And it's not just... I think what people forget about coaching and what I realized too is that dude, I'm not in my coaching business, man. I'm in the community business, dude. And so what that means is, dude, you know, we all have to spend time with people, right? But why spend time with people that drain your energy versus people that, that can give you energy and get you excited and, you know, you really that person because they're genuine, authentic human beings, right? Time, life's too short to, to deal with people that, that drain that. So find the people, right, that you want to be around and want to help grow and also understand that anyone can help any, anyone else grow too. Right. And so for us, man, it's just about, I wouldn't say growing the community, but enhancing the community with the right people. I love that. that. Calvin, where can people find you to find out more about all of this that you're doing? Yeah, man, you can find us either on zencoastuniversity.com or zencoastcapital.com, or you can follow me on social media, Instagram, I think it's just Calvin Chin, REI, Facebook, just Calvin Chin. There might be a bajillion of those, but if you can find me on Facebook, then cool. I'll be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Love it, brother. And I'm excited to talk to you after the next hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. Next hundred, two hundred. Hit me on the thousand episode. <laughs> Dude, there we go. I love it, brother. This has been Calvin Shin and Brian Lubin with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it, so I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. 
There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.